Imagine for a moment a world without art and culture. A world without art. A world without art. Without music, without cinema, without dance, literature, poetry. That world would be a very, very dull place. A very, very dull place. This time on The God Project, we're talking about art and creativity. But before we go any further, what are we talking about when we talk about art? Art is the expression or application of human creative skill and imagination, producing works to be appreciated primarily for their beauty or emotional power. So, of course, we know art isn't just music. There's tons of different art forms and ways of expression. I'm Arvin Sepper, and I write stories that give people permission to be themselves. My name is Tyler Robbins, and I like to write and produce films. My name is Matt. I'm a podcaster. My name is Ben, and I draw and paint. My name is Paul. I write songs, and I sing them. There's a quote from Picasso that says, Every child is an artist. The problem is staying an artist when you grow up. So in this episode, we'll hear from a few artists and what they think about art and creativity. Art to me is... Um, silence and it's always speaking but it's not oppressing it's freeing art is love and war and and yet it's none of those things really but sometimes we see things better through art than through the actual tangible I don't know display of what's happening so I don't know art is beautiful 
art to me is creating a feeling. Art is spirit. Art is a reminder and an expression that there is much more at stake on Earth than merely surviving. My name is Rachel and I am currently studying to get a Master's of Arts in Clinical Mental Health Counseling with a specialization in dance therapy and I create dance. I'll usually just turn on, I'll turn on my camera or turn on music or not, depending on the mood I'm in, and I'll just dance and I'll just let, it's like free writing, it's like you just compose, you just, you get it outside of you and then you notice as you're doing that, certain things are repeating or there's a certain moment in your movement that, that felt right or it looked right or whatever. And I take, you know, a mental note of that, sometimes I'll, I'll make notes too. Um, and my notes usually look like movement and inspiration, like hand in hand. So sometimes the movement is the inspiration, but um, it's like it's like a crazy, chaotic, artistic mess. And then over time, it begins to solidify. And I don't like to choreograph to music. That's my personal feeling because um, people usually consider dance as like a um, subservient art to music. And I teach, when I teach my students with dance, I say it's like a man and a woman. Let's say for fun that the woman is dance and the, the man is music. And I tell them, if you're going to get into a relationship or into a marriage and one of these people is not like independent, is not complete, if they're like lacking, we're going to use the other person to try to complete them, then that relationship is not going to work. So I judge a dance by if I can take the music away and that dance can stand on its own, then I think it's a good dance. Like I, if it makes artistic sense or, or whatever, um, that doesn't mean that they're not still married or that they can't coexist and that it can't be beautiful. I just personally like to, I try to purify my, my own artistic work by as much as I can creating apart from music. So then once I have like what I would consider like, oh yeah, these are some movement phrases, some sentences, some paragraphs, then I, I usually have already been doing research on music, but I'll find music that I feel like, yeah, this is, this is it. Like this is the couple to it or sometimes silence. Cause that's really effective as well. Um, but yeah. And so then, and then it becomes this like beautiful marriage of like dating. I don't know. I always say like my music, like I flirt with, I flirt with it when I'm a dancer. I'm like, okay, I'm going to figure you out. We're going to figure each other out. We're going to get on the same rhythm. And then at the end, when you present it, it's, it can be very beautiful. I always, of course, pick music that I feel like 
is fine to stand on its own and my dance stands on its own but then together once they've like become related to one another it's I don't know I think it's magic I think that dance tends to relate to raw and almost primal type um, emotions. Like it gets us back to the utmost of like when we were first created, like we moved. And of course, I think that's coming out of a biased lens as a dancer. Um, I think music and dance and all the arts really are quite intertwined. But if I had to like really pitch like here's why I dance. I think I would say like, it's just very large. It has capability to, um, to hold, to be a container of a lot of emotion. It's very hard to view a dance and to like fully understand it. I would, I dare say it's impossible. There's just so many layers within it. Those are some of the reasons I particularly enjoy using dance as a artistic medium is because it facilitates so much emotion, so much, it gives you so much space and it's a tangible connection with a lot of intangible um, feelings and ideas. We know that there's so many things that can be expressed through art and not just happy things, not just sad things, but everything in the middle, you know, all kinds of insecurities and vulnerabilities that people write about all the time. I mean, how many times have you heard a song written from a person with a broken heart? So I'm thinking about my own life and my own art and my own form of expression and the most vulnerable, transparent thing that I know that I could write about is spirituality. My name is Justin Allen, and I create music. I think as far as art and faith go, at least in my own art, you find there is this tension between somehow paying homage to this thing uh, that has shaped you in so many ways, um, like belief in God, but then also this uh really large struggle on the same hand so that uh, sometimes when I create I feel like my art won't fit too neatly into either category where if somebody really does believe in God they'll find my music too doubtful or too sacrilegious and then on another hand if somebody uh, really doesn't believe in God they'll find it a little too hopeful Um, and like on my song uh, Landlocked Conch Shell uh, when I wrote that song yeah, it's the closing track of uh, Endless Form's last album, Lazarus, and in many ways it summarizes a lot of the themes explored on the album. 
I essentially asked the question, if Lazarus, who Christ resurrects from the dead in the Gospels, um, it, we never really talk about what happens to Lazarus. We just assume he was resurrected from the dead. But uh, even among Christians, nobody really talks about the fact that Lazarus should still be alive if he has this new resurrected body. So I talk about the concept that Lazarus died again. What if I told you the same Lazarus? Christ resurrected had died again Would be in here at all be all you needed all along Or would you still require some greater miracle So now I know the price of love It creates this polarity where a miracle really did happen and you really witnessed something, but it didn't actually solve the problem. It didn't actually fix your world. But brings me back to the thought If I'll be caught when I fall If my wonder outweighs My desire to escape my pain I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right in the middle of the Bible Belt. I went to church every Sunday of my life, hung out with only Christian friends until high school, and I'm sure some of you will have a similar story, or at least know somebody with a similar story. I got into music when I was about 12, got my first drum set, took piano and guitar lessons, started going to punk and hardcore and metal shows as often as I could, or as often as my mom approved, of course. But I always had my CD case with me. And I really liked to draw at the time. And I would draw these band's logos and the cool pictures from the lyric sheets that came inside the CDs. Like, for example, the band Demon Hunter or Project 86. They would have these pictures of coffins and and people holding knives. And I just thought it was really cool, as weird as that may sound. And most of those bands that I grew up listening to, I still love to this day. My go-to bands even still are, you know, 2002 to 2006 emo hardcore bands. Bands like Stavesaker, Blindside, May, The Chariot, Pedro the Lion, Thursday, Me Without You. Yeah, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, for God's sakes, I have a Me Without You tattoo on my arm. But anyways, I was formed by that music. Formed by the lyrics and the aesthetic appeal of the music, the style, the clothes, and the overwhelming sense of community, standing in the middle of a crowd of people, knowing that everybody there is there to experience the exact same thing. And through all this, I still only followed bands that, of course, my mom would approve of. Every CD I brought home, she would have to read the lyrics and make sure there wasn't anything bad in the lyrics, anything negative or really just anything a mom might disapprove of. And most of the time, the only bands that made it through mom's filter were 
you guessed it, the Christian bands. No profanity, no violence, just vague references to the grave or fading away or being bound, which those are just vague ways of talking about the real issues like death and depression and addiction and suicide. But, of course, they can't talk about it literally because that's exactly what would get their albums pulled off the shelves at the Christian bookstore. So why am I saying all this? Because that music, those friends and community of artists that I was surrounded with during those formative years of my life, shaped who I am today. I wouldn't be inspired to create things like I am today if it wasn't for those people who showed me that being creative is priceless and it's life-giving. I wouldn't trade anything for that. So what is it for you that formed who you are today? Was it music? Was it dance? Was it a teacher or a family member that always popped into your head when you accomplished something and you think to yourself, I'm so thankful for blank? The more and more I work in this podcast, the more I think about my own life and how important it is to remember what inspires you to create. Now this next part is my friend Arvin. We grew up in a small Christian elementary school together, so you might pick up on some similar views. He's a writer and a filmmaker, and this is part of our conversation that we had about the Christian art industry. Here's Arvin. Uh, but one thing I did in college is I worked for a, a Christian movie company. I was a PR director, and I would watch Christian films and uh, review them. Um, and they were always positive, positive reviews. Um, so I got very well acquainted with like not just the overall flavor of Christian media and Christian art, but also like where it comes from, the origins, like the people that write this stuff, the people that make this stuff, and nothing against any of them. I think they have a place, but uh, it got to a point where I thought like, okay, and, I, and you're a visual person as well, so I, I think very much in pictures. If you took a bunch of Twinkies, which are like the least healthy, most disgusting, like really just bad for you. If you took a bunch of Twinkies and you spelled the word nutrition out of Twinkies, or, you know, things that would be good for you, or you spell the word organic out of Twinkies, that doesn't make those Twinkies organic. Like, just because you spelled something, that doesn't make those things healthy. And so I think when when art is very pointed and the motive is, like, we have... I understand. We have a generation of parents who grew up seeing a whole lot of stuff and they're thinking, I want my kids to be Christians. I want them to grow up. And that's kind of where I think this whole thing started. You got Christian versions of everything. Uh, so these parents are like, we want this. We want our kids to, you know, love God and continue being, you know, what we want them to be, which is Christians. And they want to vote a certain way or whatever else. Uh, and inevitably, the the thing about art is that it, it the moment you try to put it in a box that you can now resell, it stops being art, even if it's still the same. Like, there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, uh, in the first chapter, he says, I didn't come to you talking about very, like, highbrow, like, big terms. I wasn't trying to be impressive and show you how much of a... Uh, I mean, although he knew all those things, and he could have, he said, I didn't do that, because that would actually cause the cross of Christ to lose its power. And I think if if something is powerful that we in the Christian faith consider to be the, the apex of our faith, that like Jesus came and died on the cross or whatever, the, if that could lose its power because it's being dressed up to be impressive, 
then how much more so will art and sex and music and life? So I really find I, I've tried to make peace with this idea that the traditionally defined Christian labels of things where you take really shitty stories, not well thought out. Writing is particularly in my area that where I really care about a lot. Um, you take that and you dress it up to look scriptural. Uh, I don't consider it art. And that wraps up another episode of The God Project. If you haven't already, go listen to the first and second episodes on why people believe in God and why people don't believe in God. This show is produced by me, Joe Moore. If you'd like to get a hold of me, email godprojectpod at gmail.com. This show is also based on your stories. If you'd like to share your story, visit godprojectpod.com and click on the community page. So until next time, thanks for listening.